Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. I'm here. I'm excited. I'm ready to roll. How are you guys? Yeah. Fine and dandy. Brett's got like a sweet shawl going on right now. I'm loving it. It's a a Stephen West uh, pattern. (laughs) Uh, it was knitted knitted by uh, Dr. Ann Kempel, Dr. Annie Kempel. You have an inside track on those products, I hear. Well, From sort the, of. The Kempel collection. <laughs> sort of like the, the, ratio, the ratio of things that, of sweaters she knits for her to things she knits for me is like 30 to 1. So, <laughs> I mean, she's doing to me the work. 20, so. Get back to me in 2026 for my next next edition to the fall uh, collection <laughs> but they're quality accessories though brett i can tell that no from, it's very it's very nice yeah. uh, I'm, I'm just just razzing uh it's pretty cool just i think of it the razzing. colors make me think of mm. like it's like a lion's mane or something you know oh, like, king. Rawr, Lion king. Kind of thing. oh i thought that you needed like a wide brim hat on and a pumpkin spice latte that's where i was going what in the best way i mean in the best way you do yeah, need would, coffee accessory make, with that. You do need that a, would, like a, a coffee, a specialized coffee drink with that. I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would make that. me. Uh, oh, I could have my my uh, yerba mate cup. <laughs> and Andy's mountains, like you're leading a mule up a single oh, track yes. path it's, yeah, with like a big it. sun hat, makes me think of like, you know, what's his face from Island of Doctor Moreau, like yes. this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't just somebody really eccentric. Yes. Yeah. For some reason, it makes me think of Johnny Depp. Especially with like yes. my the crazy okay. like tired bags under my eyes, and I look, I look like Johnny Depp. <laughs> like you know, just kind of like, you got to move in a weird bit of Jack way. Sparrow yeah. in there, a little, bit, yeah. a little bit of Jack, yeah, like Keith yeah. Richards, kind of. Yeah, I, I can tell it's winter. We're all in. It seems like we're all morphing slowly into winter mode, and I don't know exactly what that is. But for me, it's it's short day mode. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah slowly sliding. I myself heck outside. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I found myself yesterday already checking like the date for like winter solstice. I'm like, when is when the, is the yeah, sun returning? <laughs> when are we going to start going the other well, direction? Yeah. It's funny that you say uh, solstice because that is when I start thinking about transplants for the following year. Actually, yeah. is when the light yes. starts to return. We um, never I've, think about I've transplants soon enough. About it. I mean, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. always never stop about it, but yeah. never well, stop. I'm, I'm, what, stop, I'm thinking stop. about even. I'm thinking about even more than always. Whatever that is. I'm thinking about mm-hmm. it even when I'm not thinking always about it. Always and forever. I'm thinking about I, a thousand times, a million, always times a million. So that's what we're talking I about never. today, y'all. <laughs> Josh, are you even a plant person? Like, I mean. I never had a person. Never stopping. <laughs> <laughs> that tracks. That tracks. But anyways, we're talking about Josh, Josh just goes out today. in December, throws a handful of seeds into the into the field and lets God decide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let yeah, it sort of out. Plants. Yeah. It's the Wonderful. virtue of inaction or appropriate right. action. You people right. are all like working against nature. I'm with nature. No, I mean, I'm waiting, nature. Nature. <laughs> I'm waiting for the light to return. I'm waiting for the light to return. You know, in some, you're, you said you're working with nature, and that's real funny because some of the best trans it always kind of gets under my skin a little bit as I spend all this money on, you know, in the past, I've spent money and resources on like grow, grow tables and with mm-hmm. heat mats, 80 degree heat mats and a lot source, you know, all the money for growing transplants and this, the 
dumb tomato seeds that fell out from last year produce these beautiful transplants <laughs> that are ahead of mine the next year because Mother Nature apparently Direct knows seeding, what she's bro. doing. I mean, right. I don't get it. I mean, has anybody else had those experiences? The best trans- I go out and dig them up and then plant them. And then I'm like looking yeah. at all my accessories that I've purchased. Like, what good are you? So, it's volunteers, you know, volunteers yeah. like they only the strong program. <laughs> Yeah, it's on that natural kind of, uh, it goes through nature's cycle of cold and, you know, the seasonal changes and all of this. But yeah, it's 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 always amazing that some of the best plants I've ever grown have been on the edges of compost piles uh, so, that have taken care of themselves. So Alexis, maybe before we jump into some of the techniques or approaches, that timeline thing I think is helpful. So when, when do you think of, or I guess, what are you starting at this point and what do you think of as... The, the window when you're going to start putting some seeds into trays, into soil and trays? Well, I mean, it's 100% dependent on what you're growing and what season it's in. So, you know, are you growing, we've talked about warm season versus cool season. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those things, you know, if they're fast or slow and how many times, because like you could be seeding and there are times if I'm on my game, which is rare, but every once in a while, um, you know, I, I'm seeding on a much smaller scale, but through the summer, uh, you know, to, to have fall crops, but also to have a second round of summer crops, depending on what they are and how fast. But I mean, I, I think for most of us who are growing outside, you can start thinking about some of those early things in Kentucky, seeding them in, um, probably March, if you're going to do like cool season veggies or cool season flowers, you know, you can even March 10th is tomatoes and peppers. I mean, March 10th, March 15th, that's tomatoes and peppers. That's six to eight weeks. Yeah. 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 Which is crazy to me. That always shocks me that it's Mm -hmm. that early. And that's the number one thing when I'm talking with people that that's just even saying that out loud now seems like it's wrong. I'm going to go after fact. See, I I push that. I always see it think as tomatoes and peppers is closer to four to six weeks uh, that time of year. And I think that just, it's, I think it's practice. Um, and Mm -hmm. you're going to be like the biggest thing, read the back of the package, those days to maturity, how many weeks before we've talked about that before. So you can go back and check out that episode, but it's it's planning. So like I will spend December and January looking back at what I have done in the past. But if you've not done this before, collect everything you want to grow. You've probably already bought it. And if you haven't, you're about to buy it because you're about to get a buttload of seed catalogs in. And it's hmm. very exciting. It's all like, the seeds. Oh, it's like a like kid at Christmas circling all the toys in the book. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> so you're going to get those in and you're going to look at them. And I hate to say it. No, I don't hate to say it. I love to say it. And Josh is going to love it. Have a spreadsheet. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Transplanting is also- all about the data. Yeah. All about the numbers. Yeah. And so, so I would just briefly like to point out, I love spreadsheets and like on a deeply personal level. And so uh-huh. every time that only Josh gets the spreadsheet love, I do feel a little left out. I just want to share my feelings. <laughs> You know, I think it. all of us that here love mind, I enjoy them a little bit, just a little differently. Bit too, so. Like, <laughs> well, Annie's friends make fun of me. Like, like I'll be like thinking about a thing, and she'll be like, "Oh, are you gonna make a spreadsheet for that?" I'm like, "No, that wouldn't make any sense because the spreadsheet wouldn't be the right tool for that." <laughs> That's not the rough. You format. can never. I would never make fun of is, you for that. Yes, I will be making a spreadsheet yes. of that, and you yeah, will be jealous of all the hurtful things you you've said to me now. <laughs> but you don't have to do a spreadsheet. Coming. You can do a piece of notebook paper and make Sorry, your own yeah, little so columns. Some way of of keeping the record and and sketching out. 
And right. what are you sketching out in this in this document? So for me, I'm going to – one thing that I don't think people think about, but it will save you some time if you grow the same things every year, is if it's how you sow it. Uh, so what I mean by that is some seeds have to be in complete darkness in order to germinate. Uh, so you – when I'm doing my research, I'm already looking in the places that tell me, you know, how this should be sown. Does it need to be surface sowed where it's going to get light? Uh, does it need complete darkness? Does it need high humidity? You know, there's all these like little things. A lot of times the seed package will tell you. And so while I'm already looking up how many days it is, you know, to, to germinate and how many days until I can get it out in the field, I'll, I'll make a column for that. And that will save you like, a lot so of time. People are tripped up on flowers, especially, and so am I. A lot of us are maybe have more experience. Uh, some of us maybe with, uh, you know, vegetable seedlings, but with flowers, mm -hmm. I get tripped up on that. Is that a common thing with different flower crops that some of those need to be subsurface, some of those need to be surface? Or yeah, yeah, they climates are different, and sometimes I forget to look and and you know, I end up doing the wrong process. Right. Like if you bury a snapdragon seed, it's probably not going to come up because it needs light to germinate. That's just part of it. The way that plant drops its seed and when it drops, it just, that's the way the plant, the seed has, you know, learned, learned to do its thing. So, uh, but I mean, there's stuff like that in the vegetable world. You don't want to plant seeds yeah. too deep. Uh, so that's something that, you know, you can also write down. So a quarter inch deep or um, something along those lines. So, so when, you know, how many weeks before frost, you're, usually your seed packs will say, hey, so me, put me in six to eight weeks. Uh, I always tell people it's better to have transplants a little later. Like it's better to get them in a week later or two weeks yeah, later than you thought always. than have them be stuck in a tray for too long. Mm -hmm. like you don't, sure. don't sow things too early. Uh, you will really do more damage. And it's hard, like it's so exciting to be able to start seeds and to see something grow. And it, it, I know it's hard, but like, do yourself a favor and and follow follow the rules for. A while. So just to, <laughs> just two pieces of information there, Alexis is what I heard in summarizing what you just said is you need two pieces of information. You need to know when typically that transplant, because we're talking about transplants today, not direct seeding into a garden, whatever mm -hmm. you're, you know, putting in a garden, uh, you need to know, number one, the average date that that transplant is supposed to go in the garden and everything from that point, once you know that piece of information, you can reverse engineer the process. Mm -hmm. The next piece of information you need to know is how many weeks it takes to produce on average a finished transplant. Mm -hmm. And if it's a pepper that takes six to seven weeks get, based on that given variety and you know the date that it's supposed to go on the ground, you're just reverse engineering that back six weeks and that's when it needs to go you know, being seeded. Yes. Yeah. So that those two pieces of information, is that what I'm hearing? That's what we need to know for the, the date it goes in the ground and how many weeks to produce transplant. Yeah. And, and that, then if the there's beginning. any, anything special about, you know, producing that plant like darkness or light or something along those lines, that darkness, is light or humidity. Does that make you, I mean, just to kind of interject a question, like mm -hmm. you kind of, you maybe group uh, your trays according to that, those needs as far as like humidity and yeah, temperature. I, I, and so that I, way you have these different growing areas that you put them for your indoor spaces. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, certainly if you're germinating something that needs complete darkness to germinate, it, it will need light immediately. So you mm -hmm. have to check on it. So it, it, those are, are not as big of a deal, but the light when you're surface sowing, which is in a tray and you're mm -hmm. just dropping the seed and you're not covering it with anything, 
I think the watering is what plays in to that actually, because if you are watering from the top, you can displace those seeds. They go flying mm, everywhere. Yeah, right. So everything that I need to water in a specific way, I'll group together and then maybe mm. things that grow a lot faster and I know we're going to need more water. They may need it twice a day. They'll yeah. get grouped together in a different way. So, so yeah. And, and you might not know that getting started, you'll figure it out really quick. Like if you're attentive, <laughs> just looking at your trays every day, uh, you will kind of figure out the best way to do that. And that goes for, you know, if you're doing transplants in, you know, uh, what am I talking soil blocking or regular mm. plastic trays or the yogurt cup that you washed out, like it doesn't, <laughs> whatever you're growing it in, uh, mm -hmm. it's applicable. Even if you were doing a huge greenhouse, this is how they, how they do things. And I think one, yeah. We talk about seeds a lot with transplants, but also something that I've started doing a lot more of and that the light is really important for. We talk about like right, mm -hmm. the light is starting to come back uh, is growing from cuttings. So, you know, like uh geranium. I'm trying to think you could do cuttings of tomatoes if you wanted. If you brought one tomato plant in that was in the pot and it's still alive and you want to keep it and have a bunch of little baby clones of that, you can do that. But geraniums are a good one. Um what else cuttings, Ray, do you usually see? I do chrysanthemums, geranium. I'm trying to think what we do for with master gardeners. We do the really easy things like potos and things. And yes, yes, house like plants, that. jade. Yeah, I mean, yeah. lots of lots of the common things like that. I've done, things, I've done elm, juniper. Elm? Oh wow! Fruit trees. Right. Yeah, uh, woodies. Not not so much fruit trees, but like. Uh, Ornamental trees, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, all kinds so, of yeah, cutting-based stuff. Can I can I just really quick clarify? Yeah. Can I clarify one thing that you said yeah. earlier? Make sure I'm understanding. You said earlier about the, you know, you're excited, you want to get your seeds started mm -hmm. and do something in the middle of this cold time. So you're saying to me, a, a ten week transplant isn't necessarily better than a six week transplant if a six week transplant is the right time to be putting it outside. Right, that's part of what you're saying. That extra time, like like let's say I have a plant and mm -hmm. I've looked it up, and the optimal transplant plant age is six weeks. Mm -hmm. If I'm growing that transplant, I want to put it in close as close to that six week window mm -hmm. as possible. It's very difficult for homeowners to hold transplants without them getting leggy. I mean, there's some things mm -hmm. you can do as far as manipulating water, but as far as like chemical treatments and inhibitors, we don't have a lot of the homeowners don't have a lot of those options, nor would they want that because well, those are, you know, and, applied in tiny amounts. If you're, yeah. if you're not trying to hit a specific growing or planting window, like you're not trying to get it in as early as you possibly can, you're, you're a little more of a flexible system. It's better, better to, off to start your seeds to, later to in the year. And start your seeds yeah. later. Let yeah. them grow up. And, and then if you need an extra week past Derby Day in Kentucky, yeah. uh -huh. then then put them out a little bit later because they're not ready. It's That's better. That, I just that make sure that – because that was really nuanced and yeah. really good yeah. wisdom yeah. that you shared. I just want to make sure it didn't get Thanks. lost. It's, um, it's a terrible thing if you put those seeds in early and you end up having a cool spell late in the, the spring season. Um, because, you know, we know the average frost dates for where we are is like the end of April, beginning of May, first week or two. Give and it's take, interesting you – know, the trade-off because it's like if you can get the tree, get the uh, the plant into the ground, 
it's going to grow way faster in the ground than it is in a tray. Mm -hmm. And so two weeks in the ground at the right time is way better than an extra two weeks in the tray because it's not ready to go outside. Yeah, and so because like in the that, tray, that you are really limiting like your fertility, your fertility management. You're making, uh, you're in a system that's very lean for as far as fertilizer. I think of it like trying to keep a kid space. in a shoe that's too small for them. Goldfish. Yeah. So, so, you know, like their feet are going to hurt. They're not going to, they're going to be cranky when they walk around, you know, there's all this kind of thing. And so then when they get into that bigger shoe, their foot is already achy, you know, and so that they're, they don't want to necessarily go out and run because their feet ache from that small shoe. So like, you said your feet hurt and you're kind of cranky at like, is that what it's like thir hitting your thirties also <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shoe, the shoe much. analogy is a good one, but you were, you yeah. were talking, pretty leading us, I think one. in the direction of cuttings maybe, uh, or talking about that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. Cuttings. Um, I just wanted to let people know it was kind of, when we think about transplants, I'm, I think everybody knows this, but transplant is just essentially, we've got a rooted plant that can go into uh, the ground or a, a larger system, whatever that is. Maybe it's a large pot, maybe it's a raised bed, maybe it's a high tunnel, whatever that is. That's what we're talking about here. And I think that's obvious, but those, that plant that you're dropping into the soil can come from a cutting or it can come from a seed. Um, mm -hmm. So I just wanted to be clear on that because cutting yeah. I think is something a lot of time you'll start earlier uh because you've got to you've got to get it to root it takes a while to root for a lot of these things and there's that's a whole we could do a whole episode on like how to take woody cuttings because the time I would love to do a series of episodes on propagation so I can yeah. learn from oh, that's my, mm, my cool. bread and butter man propagation you I love put loved. the pro in propagation <laughs> we got that one fruit tree with seven different apple varieties yeah. yes we do because we like to experiment but I'm more of an amateur propagation person myself <laughs> mm. You Sorry. like a, you, the island of Dr. Moreau is making more and more sense at this point, Josh. <laughs> it really is. We like to create amalgams that is uh, really akin to alchemy. Yeah, I like chimeras. It. Yes, chimeras yeah. even. I'm trying to think as we're having this discussion here, you know, and you know, commercial producers have a pretty good handle on garden math and you know reverse engineering the process and it, you know putting together a good process to grow transplants, but I'm thinking of typical scenarios for homeowners and, and what they struggle with. D it seems like light, uh, the, mm -hmm. you have to control like four or five major factors, you know, when you, to produce a good transplant, do a decent job as a homeowner. But I, when I'm working with people, it's, it's always amazing to them that they always need more light than they think they do mm. because to produce a good, you know, transplant, you usually need in most situations, yes, you can do a good job in windowsill. And I know folks that have South facing windows that do, can do a good job. Most people at home I found can't, if they just want to grow a few transplants, it seems like they need supplemental light and they're always shocked that they need to leave that. If you know, I, it's a common recommendation I make to, to purchase a grow light and put that two to four inches once that transplant emerges you know and you get it to germinate and starts growing and you've got that light two to four inches on there but not only the placement of the light two to four inches but that thing needs to be on 12 to 14 hours a day and that always mm -hmm. surprises people they're like but the average growing day is like eight hours well the, the, that grow light is not the sun it doesn't right. have the same intensity so you can either manage intensity or duration in this case you're just extending the duration of that grow light so mm. that's an important thing that I go over with people that if you're going to go to the trouble and expense of purchasing a grow light, make sure that you understand that most common transplants like garden transplants, I'm going to talk about, I have more experience in that area, but you know, that you need uh, to run that a certain amount of time, typically 12 to 
14 hours. I start with that. But but what else? Yeah. What other common tripping points do we have as homeowners well, and as they start to grow transplants? Yeah, go ahead. On on that light thing, the thing that you see that happens is the the thing may germinate in response to warmth and moisture, yeah. but then it'll be extremely weak and mm-hmm. or it will grow what we call extremely leggy. It'll have really long yeah. internodes totally as the, is, as the yeah. plant stretches to try to reach the light. And that is not good for something like a tomato plant, for instance, because we no. want strong branching down low. We want it to be able to support that structure and then have be able to flower. And it just creates a weaker transplant because it's it's basically the plant trying to survive in a non-optimal environment. Reaches, yeah. So, I mean, in that, in that regard, like that, that's why you want that yeah. down close. So you're yeah, bringing the light right to source. the... Yeah, yeah, exactly, Brett. That, that's, yeah, it's, basically, it's like the plant is interpreting that there's some canopy cover and it's trying to go beyond it. Yes, it, it reaches to try to get that advantage. And, you know, I'm, I manage all these things and I'm supposed to know what I'm doing, but we had a Master Gardener's class this past year and I had a group of transplants that the Master Gardener seeded. I'm like, why are these things stretching? I've managed moisture, I've managed fertility, I've managed the light source. And I've managed, mm. I thought, the nighttime temperatures because it was tomatoes. And come to find out in the meeting room, I was gone for a couple of weeks and someone had cranked up the temperature and I didn't know it because mm. I'd been turning the temperature down every night. Daytime temps were around 70 to 71. Nighttime, I was turning the thermostat down the meeting room to 62 degrees or so. And someone found that uncomfortable apparently because it had ran for a couple of weeks. The temperature had at about 75, 76 degrees. And it really caused all, all of those tomato plants to mm. really stretch when I'd done everything else correct. Mm. That the only difference, the only variable that was difference, different was the temperature. And it made a huge difference. And then finally it dawned on me. I was like, oh, the temperature got me. It wasn't fertility, which a lot of people think that the, you know, the reason that plant stretches are getting too much fertilizer. I find that's not the case in, in mm-hmm. most times for homeowners. And in my case, that was just the temperature. I had the light that was perfect, a good light source, you know, with the, the quality bulbs, but that, that was it. It was just a temperature thing. So homeowners, you're managing multiple things at one time, you know, temperature, the light, in some cases, ventilation, and you're definitely, you know, managing moisture. But not only that, the temperature varies when you're trying to get these things germinated Versus when they're germinating and they come through the ground, then you have to kind of change things up a little bit. So mm-hmm. you're juggling the the thing that uh, homeowners need to know is that you're juggling kind of multiple things at one time, making these considerations to grow a good transplant. Yeah. Well, I think Lots you've, you've hinted at another, another stumbling block maybe, which maybe we could talk about temperature and ways of mm-hmm. – managing dealing with that i don't know if that's a good one to yeah, talk about temperature is a good place for for me to start because you, you oftentimes see these grow kits that you can purchase and they have uh, clear domes that go over those when mm-hmm. you're trying to germinate for a very good reason because it you know helps you know maintain moisture and some seeds i guess alexis you guys some seeds to actually germinate them take a higher temperature uh, a lot of garden crops is around 80 degrees but there are certain garden crops that may take 90 you need to yeah. know that by looking on the seed pack mm-hmm. and the humidity mm-hmm. tent's going to help with that it's going to help maintain moisture but a stumbling block that i see there with temperature from the very beginning is not pulling that heat mat if you're using a heat mat at home not pulling that off quick enough and that means looking at those seedlings every day and once they germinate uh, usually i recommend in almost all cases immediately pulling that heat mat turning that heat mat Mm -hmm. off Mm because that can cause real problems and i've made that mistake before now josh i know you're probably talking about later on if you don't manage 
the uh, or Brett rather, uh, you're talking about later on managing the process, the temperature, um, and you have to do that too. You have to watch your day and night temps. It's not absolutely critical to turn the thermostat down at night, but that that can help. Um, well, and like for a, a lot of these crops is a little lower. If you're if you're not if you're new to the heat mat game. Um, you can get ones that have a thermostat built in, but mm-hmm. you can also just get ones that are less expensive. Yeah. That don't have a thermostat yeah. and you can buy a separate thermostat and potentially run multiple mm-hmm. heat mats off of one thermostat. And that's got, so that's basically like the thermostat thing plugs into the outlet. It's got a little up and down arrow and other buttons maybe. And you set a temperature just like you do it on your, you know, your heat or your air conditioning or whatever. And then you plug the heat mat into that and it's got a little, the thermostat has a probe that comes off of it. You can put the probe into the soil because um, that's ultimately what we're caring about. We don't care about the making the whole room hot. We want that soil level right. to be warm. Yeah. And you set it to, okay, when, when the soil temperature reaches 75 degrees, shut off the heat mat. When it, re- and when it drops below that, kick the heat mat back on. Uh, and th- those things are all very like widely commercially available yeah i've noticed the ones that you can find at local box stores are just i believe they're the ones just set around 80 degrees because that's the most common temp Mm -hmm. but if you go online and look you see these really cool kind of options like brett's describing the ones that you can actually control a little bit more and if you're going to be growing a lot of transplants i'd suggest maybe you look into those because you can get you know you can get the the mats and kind of modify those for the crops that are appropriate for 80 degrees. And then the ones that are more appropriate for 90 degrees, you can use the same map for both different types of crops. If you're going to be growing a lot of transplants, kind of pay attention to that because germination temps do vary and people that come and complain and say, Oh, I've not had any luck growing such and such crop. It's usually those crops that take a higher germination temp Mm. that in a lot of cases, that's it. So, yeah. Yeah. Or the little that tiny, happens. tiny seeds that you can't oh, go too see. deep. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, media is, uh, what do you guys think about media as far as growing transplants? Oh, that's man. different. Also, that's, that's a lot. I think saturated different. by it. I think it's too much all over Facebook. <laughs> I think. Wait, oh, <laughs> Saturation. I see. I, uh, we veered off. Yeah, we veered I, off. I, I would like to hear what you all say about media because I, I think there's a lot of options. And, you know, it, it, there sometimes it's like, Surely the simplest, most straightforward option isn't the best, right? There's something I'm missing, right? Well, Alexis, what she said, she was getting ready to, to, to say something, I think. That's what made me think about it when she said getting seeds too deep. Mm-hmm. And that makes me immediately think about the type of media, first of all, that you're using. Yeah. So, I mean, I like, and this is just what I like for seed growing and for start starting, um, well, even even not all my cuttings go in this, but majority of everything can go in a potting media that contains perlite, vermiculite, and uh, it's a soilless media, essentially perlite, vermiculite. And usually it's like a peat moss for fine seeds. I prefer a peat moss, but if you're doing something larger, you're doing cuttings of something you could go with something more like a cocoa core, something a little bit more sustainable uh, if you'd like to. And, fully support that. Um, there are, <laughs> I, I recently, I had a, f- a friend up the street who said, Alexis, I'm having trouble getting, uh, the seeds started. Uh, I've reseeded. Can you watch them? Cause I've got, you know, a, a better setup than she has. And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, if you've done all the work seeding, I'm like, I can water them when I water mine. And she brought them down and they were whatever soil media she had. And she bought it from just like 
I don't even store. like not even a box store, like a place that doesn't normally they only sell potting media in the spring and you grab it with your groceries kind of store. She bought it and, in a yard sale. <laughs> yeah, basically. basically. Okay. And I think I mean. it was really old. Um, I think and mm. it, it had been open and it was really old, which does matter uh, if it's not stored correctly. And they, her trays, the soil was so hydrophobic. I couldn't get it to hydrate. Like I yeah. couldn't, and the soil was shedding the media size, the, um, you know, individual particles in the media were so large for what she was growing and I couldn't get it to hydrate it's not even that I couldn't get it to stay hydrated. I couldn't get it to hydrate at all. Like I soaked the trays. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but it was like concrete. And I was like, well, this Emily, this is why your plants, plants are growing. And she's like, I know. And I'm actually going to go pick her up some soil when I pick up mine as well of kind of the media that I, I prefer to use for most things. But you can also do like if you're doing something cuttings, they make these things called that are like little they're called oasis cubes. You've probably seen them, even transplants, and you've probably seen them. And they do start seeds in them, but they're like almost kind of like a foam that that you know degrades, and it just is an easy way to stick cuttings in there and uh, much more simple. So that's kind of cool. But I prefer a like a peat moss based um, media for seeds. Now for woodies or something like that, I think you can get away with a larger media you know, a bark, a barkier media, cocoa core kind of thing. So, or, per, or just straight perlite sometimes is the way to go. So when you say there's some, Oh, go ahead, Brad. Sorry. I was just going to clarify. So when you say a, a, a peat moss based one, mm-hmm. some of the things you might come across that are peat moss based mixes are things like a pro mix, mm-hmm. something like the potting mix. Grow. Yeah. Miracle grow potting mm-hmm. mix. Like they Whatever sell brand, at a big yeah. box yeah. store. Yeah. So that the brown kind of, Thready, little it's not, dusty. You know, if, you, if you get it wet, it's not like mud, but it's it's like mm-hmm. a little bit spongy. That mm-hmm. traditional More potting spongy. mix is usually yeah. you're usually thinking of yeah. a peat based mix. And then right. the, when you say larger, the larger uh, you're you're typically mixing that yourself. Um, there is one that, that I have used I, that had a name. It was called Barky Beaver, <laughs> uh, and they, we used to use it at South Farm. You might probably remember the like big yeah. stall yeah. full of it. Uh, and that is really great, I think, for um, woodies and certain like bumping up transplants because it's a little bit more l- – it just depends what you're growing. Uh, we didn't use that for too many things. But I've started a lot of cuttings before in uh, perlite too, just straight perlite yeah. in a you know very humid environment because perlite, if you're not f- – if you're not sure what I'm talking about, it's the white stuff that's in potting mix. And so um, I've grown, you know, f- full large cucumber plants in that <laughs> before. So uh, as long as it has nutrients and plenty of water, it can do a lot. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I think if you're just wanting to do seed, don't buy it from a store that doesn't regularly have it. Yeah. Is one recommendation because rotate, a lot of make sure they rotate stock and have fresh yeah, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> if it's old, right. it will clump up in a weird way, and you know sometimes don't things, purchase anything that says garden soil. Because yeah, that's don't usually pur- or yeah. mineral based soil. There. Yeah, that's, and you can usually tell because that that bag weighs a hundred. I mean, it's very very heavy. Yeah, it's and got it's, like sand say, in it. Am I correct? It should say like potting, potting mix. Yes, potting yes. mix. And yes. if you're new to uh, starting seeds, maybe even look go one step further. Not only potting mix, but look for seed starting mix, which tends to be way more fine. The consistency mm-hmm. is a lot different, and th- those mixes tend to be in smaller bags. The seed starting mixes, and they have some modifiers in there. 
I see. And a I lot don't, of times, it, I don't. Maybe you have better um, experience with the seed starter mixer. And I, the ones I've always seen that are locally available here have starter fertilizer in them, and I don't yeah, recommend that. Yeah, I generally do not like that because that that's another variable that takes it's out of my control. Then I do not like that. Well, and seeds don't you can they don't like fertilizer that quickly. Um, I mean, they need no. fertilizer, you know, within a kind of a week or so of popping up, but like that, those couple days when they're just germinating and that baby, little baby radicals coming out, um, and our little cotyledons, that Not true leaves, detrimental. which are later. Yeah. I jumped <laughs> on the, I don't, didn't want to miss true leaves. leaves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that can be detrimental and it's a kind of a waste of money. You can get regular fertilizer, you know, whether that's organic or conventional, a lot mm-hmm. cheaper than what you're paying for in that mix. So usually people that tend to get their seeds too deep, that's the ones that I'm like, why don't you try this really fine mix? Oh, because that makes sense. Yeah. if they're using the fine mix, if they're seeding tiny seeds, the the seeds have a lot less chance to go deep too deep into the yeah. the mix. If it's a fine mix, and they're yeah. they're the ones for homeowners specifically that I kind of start to recommend. I start to question them, and if they start mentioning a bunch of things that are tiny seeded, I'm like, consider a pot. Consider a seed starting mix if you have tiny seeds. Not so important for peppers and tomatoes because you can use a general, from my experience, a mix for that. And it's harder to go too deep on those. You can go too deep, but it, it's you know, not as critical. I recommend for people instead of, especially if like they've already bought something, you kind of feel bad about like telling them to buy something else. What I, I guess you're technically buying something else. But what I like to do with my surface sowed seeds is to mix them either mix them with vermiculite, which is the shiny stuff in potting soil, or just cover them and just be like, just surface sow them. So it's really hard to bury them too deep when they're in vermiculite. So that's been something that's been helpful to me and just, you know, passing that out, passing that around to people and like that have had similar problems or just like surface sow them and then you sprinkle potting soil on top. Yeah. Like you're you're, you're salting, that, you're salting yeah. your seeds with potting soil type mm-hmm. of motion. Sometimes <laughs> just, a visual. Just in, case, just in case you're thinking that you have to go to some crazy specialty store to get this stuff. You can. Um, there are mm-hmm. – we do have actually on the CCD site a list of – uh, horticulture suppliers in the state of Kentucky, but I will say from experience, you can order perlite, vermiculite, peat, cocoa coir. Cocoa coir comes in this, um, uh, like it's often brick. like compressed bricks, bale, and so yeah. you mm-hmm. so it ships a lot smaller. You can rehydrate it, and then if you want to get into mixing your own stuff, it can't. It, if you do it right, it can be more much cheaper than buying the premixed stuff. If you at, need a you know, lot, if you, yeah. if you need a lot of it. And that you can get that stuff all like you can get that all from the world's largest online retailer. They sell large, you know, four cubic foot bags of uh, of perlite uh, in different sizes. Um, so yeah, you can if you're if you don't know where a hoarder a supplier is. Sometimes I, I think sometimes we talk about some of this technical stuff, and it feels mm-hmm. like well, okay, but where do I even get that? Mm-hmm. You can just order it. You can also order smaller bags of it, mm-hmm. like uh, Scotts and Miracle Grow and all those. They have. And they might have it at the box store, just perlite, just, you know, to mix they, a little bit. Um, they do it. They do now. Uh, sometimes it's not with the potting soil, though. Look by the houseplants stuff, like mm, houseplant fertilizer yeah. and houseplant things. And they have some straight peat moss, straight 
perlite, straight vermiculite, um, because I bought it, you know, in, in real small bags, you know, and you're not filling, you might fill two trays. And that goes a long way for homeowners. I mean, those small bags and one of my old mixes is just a 50-50, 50% peat moss and almost that a same amount vermiculite. But I mean, whatever mix, whatever reason you're you're mixing to make your own, a little goes a long way for homeowners. But for, uh, especially if you're using seed trays. But yeah. commercial is obviously a lot different. Yeah. And to, there's I to would, just briefly reprise my lame joke uh, archetype. Please, my dad is Mr. Moss. Call me Pete. Thank you. Oh man. Oh, here it comes. It's Friday. That's not a ticket to say, <laughs> say these things, Brett. That's not a ticket Sorry. to say these Sorry. things. But, Sorry. Sorry. Oh man. Okay, so and we've talked about starting seeds before, so I don't want to like get too hung up on that um, because we have an episode on starting seeds, which you know it's important this time of year. But I think that there's like the growing on part of it too, and we've kind of talked mm-hmm. about a little bit about light. You know, as far as fertilizer, they don't need a ton of fertilizer when they're that young. No. I tend often to not, depending on how fat, how long. I'm keeping track of them. If it's like a tomato or a zinnia, that's quick. Like it's, it germinates in two days and I, it's out the door in you know, six weeks max. I may only hit it with fertilizer one time and then, Mm -hmm. but I'm putting fertilizer down when I plant. Uh, so it's, it's ready to go, but they're, they're usually pretty good because there's everything's so fast. Um, you don't need to overdo it. If you've got like something that's a 12 week, until it it goes outside mm-hmm. you, you might need to fertilize a little bit but remember a lot of the times when we're starting our seeds it's still cool outside you're not they're not getting the right amount of light so if you over fertilize you're going to push them in a bad way just like if you if the light's not where it needs to be and then there's the getting it in the ground like i think that's part of the transplant section is making sure that you're planting well you're planting on uh, you know we all, the ideal day is like a cloudy day so that they're not super stressed. Especially if they've not been hardened off. Yeah. I have right. lost a lot of, a lot of plants. Yeah. Maybe let's talk about hardening off really quick, Ray. Like <laughs> yeah, you're. That, that sounds yeah. like it's the third part of the temperature control, right? There's yes. Temperature and light. And germinating light. And temperature, yeah. and temperature control for the growing on and then the temperature control for hardening off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you grow these things under your nice grow light or on the interior conditions, they're not really, in most cases, yeah, ready yeah. to go outside under full sun because you're going to get a lot of marginal and just total leaf burn potentially. So usually what you're doing, I guess, uh, for most plants as you go through this period, the first thing I think about doing that week or so or even up to two weeks before I move plants as plants outside. If I did fertilize once maximum twice is no more fertilizer. And then Mm -hmm. I start cutting the water slowly. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my first step. The second step is I move those plants ideally in and out on a cloudy day, get them used to some sun or evening sun, not direct sunlight. You need to go through a process of temperature and light acclimation. And that's Mm -hmm. what we are calling hardening off. You just don't take a plant that's been grown on the inside under grow lights and put it in the sun because it will melt very Mm -hmm. quickly. And so you, you need to go through that process and become familiar with that hardening off. So it, it involves, first of all, water towards the end of the process, and that'll help a little bit. And then you start kind of, as I said, moving that plant in and out slowly to, to get used to the sun. And that's another reason not to start your transplants too early, because mm-hmm. if you, if they're 
ready to go and you can't get them in the ground yet because it's, you know, you got a frost coming or something like that, you're going to spend more time moving them in and out versus, you know, having them ready. But yeah, 10 days a week is kind of like a minimum that I would say mm-hmm. for most plants, depending yeah. on how hard, you know, how good your light is, but it's an acclimation process. That's what hardening off yes. is. And, and it's definitely do that. Really Don't just important. Take that tender. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> take it from us. Yeah. Oh, are, yeah. There common, are there common signs you look for that maybe you're pushing them too hard when they're, when you're hardening them off? Like as burn. far as their responses, yeah, yeah is just usually the leaf first. Burn. They're yeah. like sun scald on the yeah. leaves, some spotting or a withering uh, when mm. you know they really shouldn't be. Sometimes you just get collapse if you get a, a really warm spring day and you've not, and you just kind of throw them out on morning sun for four hours. You're going to get burn and, and wilt. Mm. I, it's going to look. I, I will say though. You don't want that to happen, right? <laughs> because, because every time that a plant gets stressed, yes, that's what we're saying, setback. Brett. Yes, that's what well, we're saying. Right. But, well, <laughs> only the strong will survive. Live or die, garden. Yeah, you don't you don't want that to happen. But if it does happen, don't just freak out and throw the flat out. Yeah, yeah. Water no. them, pull them into a shadier location, and they you will be shocked. They look mm-hmm. like they are. As long as the bud is not, right. yeah, damaged, yeah. and and they come back. So to this to this point, and on the um, why you want to do this on a uh, overcast day, we had some watermelon. When I used to work at the farm, we had some watermelon transplants uh, for a project, and it was just going to storm. I was trying to avoid cursing. It was going to storm <laughs> very hard, and. We, it it was, but it was like, you know, that before the storm, weird May, Mm -hmm. early June timeline where it's just so hot. (laughs) Of course, they're going into black plastic. Of course, the transplants aren't as far along as they should be. All those things. things, We got to try. We got to do this. So I put, put them in and those things looked done. Absolutely. (laughs) I was like, what have we done? Why, why we did, why did we do this? It rained, they chilled out, and like 95% of them popped right back up. And granted, they were stressed. They didn't do as well as they would have if everything worked out perfectly. But I mean, it was one of those like moments where I was just like, they're done. I mean, they look like melted. It looks like you took this (laughs) and made of ice cream and you put it in. And and they came back and and survived. And from then on, I was like, okay, plants are pretty pretty tough. Plants want to live. (laughs) They want to live, but also like- you don't want this to happen, as my colleagues have uh, have amply d- demonstrated. But there is there is a lot of resilience uh, mm-hmm. in plants as well. So, so we're at the know, hardening off phase and, and thinking about yeah. the transplant phase. Is that where we are? Yeah, yeah. Getting I think I see. Ground. I've had I've had a lot of experience with people planting transplants of all like they've been gardening their entire life and they've never planted a thing in their life had a lot of experience of all different sizes of plants. So I feel like pretty good about talking about things to do and things you might not think about if this is your first time or maybe you had some problems with plants last, you know, the last year. For 90% of plants, the only one I can think of off the top of my head would be tomatoes. It is very important to plant at the right depth. 
You don't want to smother them. So you don't want to have a bunch of soil going up that stem because it will rot most of the time. Hello, uh, Rhizoctonium pythium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you also don't want roots sticking out of the ground. That is like my biggest pet peeve <laughs> is when I see roots that have popped up. And I know sometimes like you think you tucked it in and I, you know, I go back when I do planting and I, you know, find a few that just decided not to settle down properly. But Make sure the roots are covered. If they dry out, that plant is weak. It wilts early. Um, things eat it. Like, you know, it gets knocked out. It's just a really simple thing that is, I think, one of the things I see done wrong the most is it's just not settled down into the ground. The second thing that people don't do is water in their transplants. It is, mm -hmm. I don't care if it's mm -hmm. going to rain in two hours because right. the moment you don't water, it doesn't rain. <laughs> and then it's the middle <laughs> right. of the night. You forget about it by the morning. I've been there. I understand. Water your transplants in because even just a little shot of water, you know, you're not, it's not a super deep watering that you're doing. You're just. And air cavity is not your roots friend. Exactly. Air cavities mm -hmm. will destroy your roots underground. What you're trying to do yeah. is settle that soil around that root ball and it's, you're, you're tucking it in at night. Like you're snug, getting all snuggly and tucking mm -hmm. it in. And that is. Make sure it's planted at the right depth and make sure you water it in are the two biggest things that will set you off for success, you know, kind of after that hardening off phase that I could recommend. And we're talking about planting here, Alexis, and maybe we should uh, talk about a little bit of a fringe case here when we're dealing with transplants and it comes up from time to time, but like squash and cucumbers, there's a little bit different strategy when you're growing those transplants because those transplants are so tender, the roots are so tender mm. that you want to grow those typically, I think, for homeowners in like a peat container that can be planted directly into the ground. Because if you try to grow some of those crops, finding crops specifically, like squash, cucumbers, things uh, like that, you know, even watermelon, that kind of falls into that. There's a lot of crops that the roots are just so tender that if for whatever reason you're growing transplants of those crops at home, you'll want to put those in peat containers and transplant the whole container into the soil. Because if you try to pull that transplant out of that container, nine times out of ten, you've already killed that transplant. It's done. And I try to stress that to homeowners if I figure out that they're, that they're going to grow some of these things to go ahead and use peat containers for those very tender crops. And if you have questions on that, we have um, the Home Vegetable Gardening in Kentucky has some wonderful charts. I think like Table 5 has some of that data. There's, there's a lot of information on growing transplants in that Home Vegetable Gardening in Kentucky. I think, what is that, ID 128? Mm -hmm. Yeah, ID 128. Uh, Tables 5 number. and 6 are good yes. for transplants. Planning. But all of this information is in there, but for homeowners, pay close attention to that. If you're growing those crops, you'll want to use peat containers so that you don't have to slip those transplants out and put them in the soil. You can just direct plant those. And uh, since hmm. you were talking about uh, planting in the soil, Alexis, I thought I'd kind of add that on. Yeah, that I, did, I had never thought process. about that, right? I, you know, I grew some gourds uh, for a class that I taught um, and I had some left over. In like a, in a cell tray and not a big cell tray, like a, I think it was like a 72 cell. So, you know, the cells are the size of a half dollar or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I had uh, one tray left over and, uh, I put them down on some, uh, fabric at the house and I was like, oh, I'll plant these, you know, extras, extras at the house and have some gourds. 
And I put them down and, uh, you know, kept them watered. And they were on like a weed mat type fabric that's like woven. So there's you know, the root, roots could get down in there. And don't you know, those those things made it all season in those cell trays. <laughs> and they nice. rooted down through that weed mat. Oh, wow. And I had gourds and they grew gourds, even though they that were in is, that. That's a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't fertilize them. Other, I mean, they might have gotten a little bit because of other stuff I was hitting, but they got watered and they got tons of powdery mildew <laughs> and they, I, I did nothing. I was like, plants want to live, right? They'll figure they Most do. of the time they figure out a way. You'll see that dandelion just, growing in the concrete and you're like, how does that work? Yeah. Through asphalt. Yeah. Johnson grass through asphalt. We'll just shoot straight up through six inches of asphalt. Yeah. It's the devil. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say. On the if you have grown them, so I I've only ever grown like those cucurbit transplants in like a actual legit greenhouse and and never that was it was you know simulating a a, a mm-hmm. you know production commercial scale environment mm-hmm. and we didn't have any issues but yeah I mean that is a good shot I just think if if you were able to grow vigorous transplants and you've been doing it without the the peat container then go for it. That means you know how to handle those gently. You probably yeah, already yeah, have yeah. a good uh, grasp like a- on, no pun intended, good grasp on how to be <laughs> gentle with those. <laughs> right, yeah, and, right. And I think uh, too yeah. that just it's nice to it's nice to have some some training wheels or some gutters mm-hmm. in yeah, the bowling lane that, to just that's help more you for newer growers yeah. because they well, are a I bit really, more tender really like this that, crop. But now commercially, I never, th- I never think about that because I know to how to push that from the bottom and, and they even make trays that are pushable. Like you, you can pop yeah. trays that you can pop them out. Commercially, you just know to handle certain crops more mm-hmm. gently, but for homeowners that may be getting, just getting started. Yeah. That's mostly advice for them to get those transplants started and keep them growing. Rapidly. One last thing that I see pe- people ask me. So when you're putting in transplants, we're, we're talking about something pretty small, right? Like we're not talking about, I guess, technically a large gallon size, big shrub is a technically a transplant. But I think for the, the spirit of this episode, we're talking about something, something small, you know, you may be able to hold two or three in your hand at one time kind of thing. Do not <laughs> rip apart that root system, even if it's something that you know, isn't super sensitive like a cucurbit crop. I think that in our minds, a lot of people have planted larger, larger uh, things like shrubs. And we were always taught, I remember my mom saying, you know, you got to kind of rough up the root system because they're usually root bound and they've been in those nursery pots for two years. Transplants are not that way. Like little transplants have only been in there. But here's the greed portion. (laughs) There's some greed in there. Okay, but wait, no, wait, Rank, you're going to confuse people. Let me get through this. I am going to confuse people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to confuse them. For 99% of everything you're going to grow, do not disrupt that root system. Put it Mm -hmm. right in the ground the way it is if it's it's small. Now, what Ray is about to tell you is something like if you accidentally get two tomato seeds in the same same Or six basil. Or six basil. basil. In one little cell. What do you do in that? And that's a that's a good point, Alexis. What would you do in this situation? Let's say you had three basil plants that, which is pretty typical, pick on basil mm-hmm. that'll come up in mm-hmm. one, one cell pack or one mm-hmm. cell. Um, what would you do there? Would you snip? Because that's an option. You can snip mm-hmm. two and just leave one growing. Or if you want to roll the dice, I guess you could try, but that's always a risk of breaking the plant. Yeah. So um, I like to, uh, when, when I was, I mean, sometimes I snip I a lot of, yeah. uh, quote unquote, brain surgery in the way of transplanting uh, very tiny, mm. tiny plants. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I the way I seed, and I'm growing like kind of larger quantities of mm-hmm. things, you, you'll... Uh, 
ultimately always have like a couple cells that don't come up. Either they missed this yeah. and it got into the other cell or you just had a dud or something got, you know, ate, whatever. You always have a couple cells. So I usually leave, um, you know, if I've got a five cells that have a couple in each, I'll leave them until I know and I'll plug those in and I'll do some brain surgery. I'll, you know, get out like my tiny little tool and I will pot them up when they're very small because when plants mm-hmm. are really small, they rebound actually really quickly. So even if you break off there's only, you know, half an inch of root there. Even if you break off a little bit of it, it'll still rebound. Uh, so they actually yeah. rebound better when they're tiny than when they're big. Mm-hmm. And so I'll do that. Or if you have enough plants, if you got as much as you need, just snip them off. Just make your life, you know. Put, you go- I was thinking more of when you're buying, like I go to a greenhouse and let's say there's something that I want that I didn't grow transplants. I'm kind of greedy. And I look for those cell trays of basil that have bonus basil in them. So I can okay. do brain surgery on those. <laughs> so it's only for when I'm purchasing things. I'm like, ooh, that one yeah. tray has three tomatoes yeah. per cell. If it's larger <laughs> and you're buying it and you don't have the luxury of getting it when it's yeah. small, there are some plants that will be fine being ripped apart. <laughs> Sometimes you may kill plants. Yeah, As Alexis is saying, you're just kind of rolling the dice, even though dad is thrifty over here. I'm pretty thrifty when it, if I'm purchasing plants, because I don't know about you guys, but plants have gotten expensive transplants when you go to purchase them at local retail outlets. I mean, for good reason, because, you know, it takes a lot of resources and, and media and stuff that so have gotten more expensive. I understand all of that. But when tomatoes are like five bucks a, bucks a plant uh, mm-hmm. at a local box store, and I see that one of those uh, round packs that you get from mm-hmm. a local farm, uh, you know, supplier has like three tomatoes in there. I'm going to do some some brain surgery on those. I'm going to be separating those. I but say, if I'm growing them myself, I generally yeah, don't. You, I'll snip. I'll snip them. If now. you're willing to lose some, and yeah. then you know, definitely by all means, I'm also thrifty, the dice. but ninety percent of the time, do not mess up that root system. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's and just like we said, we talked about with some of the you know vine crops and stuff being very sensitive. All the young roots are very sensitive in general. So the less disturbance you can have on those, the better. I find so you don't set those back. But you know, we're we're talking about all these variables that we're controlling and maybe possibly purchasing some equipment to grow a good sturdy transplant at home. Why do people do this? I mean, why do you guys grow transplant? I mean, what's your motivation? Maybe we can wrap up with that. What is it? And I always love to hear from people why they're going to the trouble of growing transplants when you can go and purchase a few if you just have a small home garden. I mean, aside from saving some money. Some money. Um, yeah, because that grow lot's obviously going to last more than one season. And if you're growing a quantity, you can definitely save money very quickly if you if you need a pretty good quantity of plants. But one would, of the reasons that got me into yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, uh, no, you should keep going. No, no, I was just going to say that there's just certain things that maybe that that you can't buy. But yeah, right. Yeah, yeah like, that's you know, your selection expands. Yeah, I I, I can't go and pick up the varieties that I want from the store, and I don't, you know, I don't want the standard, you know, hybrid Better Boy or whatever the new hybrid is that is mm-hmm. everywhere, Mountain Fresh or something. No, no shade to those. Go for it if you like those. I actually don't. For me personally, uh, it's been really interesting. I've gotten into mostly starting like n- native perennials and woody plants and things. And, um, you know, they involve many of those involve like this process of getting them, uh, soaking them in water and or keeping them cold for a long period of time ahead of time, you know, scarification, stratification, those types of things. But the process of starting them is very, very similar to everything we've talked about here. 
And in that case, it is A, I can't find the types of things that I want locally, mm-hmm. or B, like it just is really, they're really expensive to have to buy if you want a bunch to do kind of like a, you know, if I if I wanted to get like 40 milkweed plants, I, I can buy a seed, a thing, a, a thing of seed and some stuff for, you know, 10 bucks total, maybe materials, whereas 40 of those, I mean, it, it, you're talking hundreds of dollars probably. So that, mm-hmm. I mean, those are the big reasons for me, but I, I think also there is something really beautiful and poetic about the seed starting time of year and how it's like, we're in the mm-hmm. middle of this cold. Yeah. It represents this like yeah. promise, the seed, the seed has everything you know, that it needs for the future of there. Like there really is a, of something really beautiful about that that cycle, and not only that, but that the seed is not the beginning; it's the product of all the things that happened in the plant last year that created that seed. And like this, I don't know. There is something really special about about that, and I think it it does. There is this shared experience of the mania, cabin fever of cold weather <laughs> that is so human and like. <laughs> Look, we have heat. Imagine if you didn't have heat and it was just sort of like keeping a fire going. Imagine how excited you'd be for, for spring. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty excited mm-hmm. as it is. So, oh, yeah. So that, I, I do it for that reason, too, because it is kind of insane. In, in some ways, it's kind of insane to have all this stuff set up and do this and, and the water and, <laughs> and, you know, all these things. But, uh, you know, we're, we're crazy about plants. And you have a cool, and I, and I find that I like the glow in my office where I have like a grow, little, little grow last six foot wide grow lab four tier kind of thing. And it produces this glow. And I don't know why I like that so much at night. My office is the broad office. It still has the lights going because I'm trying to run them 12, 13, 14 hours. So yeah, but it's something cool having something growing at that time of year. In mid-March, you've got, you know, you've seeded things in some cases and you have little growing things at a time of year where long the long winter is still going on. So I enjoy that too, Brett. I do like and having growing. It just it represents that you're still making plans. And as long as you're still making plans, it means you still have hope. And I'm not trying to get too demo- down and too far of an emotional track here, but like that, that's what it represents to me is that I'm still thinking about, okay, you know, in a month or two or what three or whatever, I'm, I'm still going to be here doing these things. And, and there's something really in a time where it can be really, really easy to get down about all the things that are happening it does represent and i I think that's why it's so important to like so many refugee communities and just migrant communities in general that do all this gardening and do all this stuff you see this common thread of them a lot of them doing gardening and growing stuff and if they have if they have a porch window they're going to put some seeds Mm -hmm. and and some stuff in a porch window and grow it and it just represents that kind of restarting uh hope rebirth cycle kind of thing i think Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love growing things. I mean, and you're growing things at a time of year where, you know, normally you may not be if you're a homeowner. So good stuff. Aww. It seems like in the future we need to do an extension of this, as you know, made me think. Propagation. Well, propagate and seed saving. I mean, yeah. seed saving is its own yeah. huge topic and mm. it goes along very well with this. A little bit different time of year, maybe, but maybe midsummer, early summer when, mm-hmm. you know, you can start to identify. But I love the seed saving stuff because I come from an area of long seed savers and some seeds mm-hmm. you can save and some you probably shouldn't try to save. But uh, that's a huge topic. I mean, you get into all kinds of, you know subtopics when you talk about seed saving but uh, we used to end the season by you know saving some of the heirloom like tomato varieties that uh, Mm -hmm. we would select you know and reach mature certain maturity level but yeah 
yeah, it seems to go along with this, but it, some of your comments made me think about that, Brett. It kind of bookends the other end of the season for me is the seed saving yeah. on the other end. So, yeah. For, yeah, definitely. So we talked about uh, light, temperature, media, a little bit of the techniques, making sure that you, you know, after you have stuff seeded or sorry, you start off, you know, you got a plan. I want a six week old transplant and I want to transplant it on date X, work back six weeks and that's your seeding date. You go through all the steps using the the different media stuff we talked about. You get that plant ready to go before you're ready to plant it out about a week to 10 days before you're ready to plant it out. You put it outside, mm -hmm. let it harden off, adjust gradually to sunlight and temperature and all that kind of stuff, and then put it in the ground, ideally disturbing the roots as little as possible, making sure that you plant it to the correct depth, which is almost, which is usually to the top of the soil ball with the top of the soil ball covered with soil. Mm -hmm. Uh, water it in well at the time of planting and then mm -hmm. grow it in the ground. Have fun. Enjoy, enjoy the thing. Watch it shoot up a, so fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Watch it have a 10 week head start on all the weeds, which is one of those reasons we do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, it, it's, it really is a key part of a lot of uh, production systems and, and ways of growing stuff, but it's also a good way to get connected with plants as earlier in the season than you'll be able to get outside and, and mess with them. So that sound like a decent recap? I, I think so. It. Yeah. All right. That's pretty good. Well, Alexis, you want to take us home? Yes, of course. Well, uh, we thank you for being here with us today and listening to us like be super excited about transplants. We hope you're super excited about growing some seeds for yourself, uh, even if it's just something fun and get you through the winter because that's for me. I totally agree. But uh, you can leave us a review if you like hearing about transplants if you want to hear about all kinds of different propagation and listen to brett and i just get like super jacked about stratification of seeds we can do that just tell us in the review you guys rock let's hear about that let us know it's super helpful you can also shoot us an email with any ideas that you may have or questions that you may have if you're like i don't know what stratification is please tell me more but just in an email because, yeah, you can do that at horticulturepodcast at l.uky.edu. You can also shoot us a direct message, a DM, if you will, on Instagram, horticulturepodcast. Uh, if you'd like to see any videos of that brain surgery that we talked about, I actually think I have one on my phone. Maybe I'll post that about uh, – the snapdragons that I went a little crazy with. So we can do that of uh, cuttings, those kinds of things. So if you want to see more on that, please uh, definitely let us know what you're into because we just talk about what we like and hopefully that's what you like. But we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will continue to grow with us and that you will join us next time. Have a great one, y'all. <laughs>